0: I'm Susan West, and this is the People and Profit podcast. Yes, I said and. As business leaders, we should never have to choose between our people and our bottom line. I believe that you can lead with love while creating wealth. This is your opportunity to learn and grow with me. Thank you for joining me again. Hi, I'm back again, Susan West with Fidelity National Title, but also with the reframe. And I thought I would use this as an opportunity to talk a little bit about what did we mean when we said the reframe? Why did we come up with that name and what are we trying to accomplish? Well, today is a perfect example of what we're trying to accomplish, which is we're supposed to take a scenario, which is title insurance, take a scenario, which is real estate, take a scenario, which is our industry and help for our viewers to reframe the way you think about it. And why that's necessary is we're really trying to level up, raise the bar, and demonstrate that we are, at some level, the experts on these conversations. So today, what a better opportunity than to demonstrate that is to bring an expert in, three experts, I'd like to say, Again, I'm Susan West. I'm an expert because of the 30 years experience that I have here in title, the nine or 10 years in lending, and just the opportunities I've had through my life to be involved with real estate. Ashley Scipioni is with me, and Ashley has demonstrated through her career that she's an expert in process, procedure, in systems, in efficiencies, and in her knowledge with title insurance itself here in Florida. Our third expert at the table today is Paula Hester. Paula's an attorney, a Texas bar attorney, and she also runs an operation. Everything's bigger in Texas, bigger than Ashley and my operation here in Florida, in Dallas. And if anybody cares, she's also a Cowboys fan. So Paula brings a different angle to the view, right? A different conversation to the table. But what you're going to find out today is her conversation is very similar to ours. Again, Fidelity National Title, Fortune 200 Company, and three ladies that have been in this business long enough to have seen 2009, 2010, and 11, where things went down and then what? Came back up again. So Paula, you're first up. What do you see as similar to 9, 10, and 11? And what are you doing about it?
1: I think what's similar to 2009 and 11 is how quickly the the orders and transactions have slowed. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of runway before they actually started slowing, although there certainly were some signs early on. But I think most of us have been a little caught off guard by how fast Uh, and how slow it got in just a matter of a few weeks. So
0: how quickly it slowed down?
1: How quickly it slowed down, yes. Now, maybe we just wanted to believe it wasn't going to. I mean, when COVID first hit, we all believed that was going to be a a slow real estate market, and it shot the other way completely. So I think we had some warning, but I think the optimism that we had from, from COVID carried us through in our thinking that it was going to come back quickly.
0: Right. And it's interesting because I guess our first lesson today, the experts here, the first lesson is that as long as we've been doing this, as many experts as we have in our company, you can put your head up and be aware, but you never know. Again, yeah. we prepared with COVID for it to turn down quickly, but it turned up quickly. Yes. We were aware as we, um, the last couple of months that potentially Things would start to tick down and they ticked down very, they did very quickly.
1: And we knew the refinances and loans were going to slow down quite a bit with rates rising, but not really the purchase business and certainly not the commercial business, which has started to slow in the last month or two.
0: Absolutely. Yes. For a couple of months, we were able to say, well, residential slowing That's down, right. but commercial the is strong. great. <laughs> and uh,
1: commercial, I would say is still strong. It's still good, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of investors and commercial folks that are waiting to see what happens before they spend money. They've done a lot of great deals and, and a lot of them have taken the rest of the year off.
0: Right, right. which we, um, we don't like that. We a lot, don't of, like a that. lot of real estate professionals take December off. They do, um, but typically not October, November, and no. December, right? <laughs> no. Typically not the whole fourth quarter. Ashley, what opportunities have you found in your role during the change in the market, the downturn, the slowdown?
2: Well, I feel like we've been focusing a lot on efficiencies and synergies, and so as things turn down, we're able to kind of group some of those roles and responsibilities and really create some amazing efficiencies for us that enable us to get skinnier with the turn in the market, but also be just as amazing as we always were. Absolutely, and I understand we, well, I understand because I was there, we had a
0: recent audit, um, if you had to speak to working for a Fortune 200 company and the audit process, the need for it, the negative, the positive, what do you have to say?
2: Well, I would think you know, unlike a lot of our competition, we do get audited. We're the best. We're number one in the industry, and so we have a higher standard. Uh, we met with one of our own managers recently who operates fast and loose. You know, until he came to Fidelity, right? And he couldn't believe the amount of rules and structures that we have, but. But at the end of the day, those audit requirements, they are what holds us accountable and enable us to consistently be here for our customers throughout the years. Exactly. It's funny
0: or interesting, I would say, Paula, that when we first sat down today, and by the way, thank you for flying in from Dallas. Thank you for having me. And she is not only here for this podcast today, but Paula is also here to meet with Ashley and my management team tomorrow. And the purpose is so they can hear another voice besides ours talking about running a business. Because while we are owned by a Fortune 200 company, we allow each one of our managers to run their businesses as if they're their businesses. And Paula is going to speak to them from that perspective. But Paula, when you first sat down today, you said some very interesting things about the benefit of our company and what you, from where you sit, you've seen happen over the last couple of years with new title companies opening up. What what can you say about that?
1: So anytime I speak with Uh, industry professionals, whether they're realtors or lenders, and talk to them about why they choose a title company partner, why they send a specific order to any one uh, specific title company. I acknowledge that there are a lot of reasons to choose a title company. There there are probably a hundred reasons, and they're all great reasons. I mean, everyone has a really good reason, relationships or habit or something about the company that they love, but I'm not sure that we always spend a ton of time thinking about sending orders to the title company that will be here tomorrow. Being you, you and I both manage the Fidelity brand for F and F, and Fidelity being the largest underwriter uh, in the United States, we we underwrite uh, for a lot of different agencies, and we write for some amazing agencies, legacy agents that have been here forever, family-owned title companies, and so I want to distinguish from those scenarios from. Someone who just decided the title business was easy and a great way to make money and they threw up a title shop during a boom time. And then they're gone when the boom time is over. Right. And so we have customers looking for their documents, looking for their copies of their policies or surveys or or loan documents and can't get them because that title company was here for a year or two years or three years and now they're just gone. So I always suggest to lenders and realtors that they consider the idea of choosing a title company based off of who will be here tomorrow Mm -hmm. and who can help them make that relationship with the consumer stickier. And that's what we do with a lot of the products that Ashley's referring to, is to try to help cement that relationship between the consumer and the realtor and the consumer and the lender going forward so that they can have a lot longer relationship than just that one transaction. What's well, interesting
0: and Paula brings in and, and I think also collaboration, people throw that word around, but Ashley, Paula, and I all come from different places, right? Different backgrounds, different experience in different parts of the field, right? And obviously Paula's a higher level education than I have. Ashley has a higher level of education than I have, and then Paula has the most sitting here seated here at the table. But what's interesting is we collaborate. Paula Paula sits down and says, you want to pick a title company that's going to be here in the future. I add to that and say, you want to pick a title company that's been here in the past. You want the knowledge, you want the experience, because we can deliver something that somebody that's new in it can't deliver. Then Ashley comes to the table and says, and you want a title company that's in it today. Ashley's very current, you're present. You like it some days, you don't like it other days, but we regularly have you carry a book of business at your desk how does that make us better I know it's a challenge for you some days but you can talk about the challenge but also how does it make us better that you are in it today with a current book of business that you're running at your desk
2: well I think we can all agree that today's business is harder Mm -hmm. right there's there's less of it but it's also those properties that haven't sold forever you know I don't know when the last time we saw a clear title was You know, so I think being in it every day gives me the opportunity to dig in and learn more. Because the one thing we know about real estate is it's always changing. There's always something else you don't know. So I think being able to gain that extra knowledge and pass it along to the rest of our operation and then also have sympathy for what people are feeling. And really, you and I, going back and forth, you know, Susan has grand ideas and me being able to say, well, you know, this is what I think from where I sit and typically landing somewhere in the middle. Right, right. So I think day-to-day is good because I also think it gives me an opportunity to explain why we require the things we require. It's not just our right. closers,
0: and I love that. And, and not that this isn't about you because you flew in from Dallas, but we haven't spoken about that in a while, Ashley. That together we have 2020 vision. Is I think, and she says grand ideas. I know what she means by that. I know. I come in oftentimes with these just fabulous large ideas. And she has to simmer me down. But I think at the same time, I have to help you raise your head from the desk to see that there's merit for some bigger ideas. And if we don't have somebody on our team, Ashley, looking down, somebody on our team, me looking up and us challenging each other to look the other way, not the other way, but to either, you know, focus on the the, the desk um, to see where the desk perspe- perspective comes from and also focus on where the vision perspective comes from. And I think that 2020 vision is what's really made a difference in in our world. And and Paul, I was thinking as Ashley was speaking, the reason why we brought you here today um, and tomorrow with our management team is for you to send a message. So when you speak with our management team tomorrow, can we share with the viewers what your message is gonna be?
1: Well, I think it piggybacks on what you were just saying about Ashley having a desk. I think if you're going to continue to do what you have done in the last two or three years, you're going to be left behind. You're not going to have enough business to feed your family or send your kids to college. So whatever level of productivity you've done in the past, whatever level of social media you've done or marketing, whether you're a realtor lender or title person, the efforts that you've put out in the last few years aren't gonna be enough going forward. And that doesn't mean the hard work. Obviously, we all worked very, very hard the last three years, especially in the title business with the number of orders that we had, many late nights and and a lot of files to get out closed and funded. But I simply mean on uh, attracting new business. I mean, your synergies, your use of the technology. I think when the refis or the orders are pouring in like it did during COVID, you can choose not to use the most current technology. You're still gonna get plenty of orders. You're still, I mean, they. They, they're just, they were raining in for a while, you didn't really have to do much else to get the orders to come in other than work them well. Right. I don't think you'll be able to do that going forward. I think you're going to have to work twice as hard, and that, that can mean a lot of different things. And I think for our title closers, it's going to be the technology. It's going to be embracing that tel- net technology. You're going to have to work faster with fewer people, and you're going to have to distinguish yourself from the other closers that are in the market. How do you think we distinguish,
0: distinguish ourselves from the other closers?
1: I think a closing experience is always number one. I think uh, understanding who your market is and where your orders are coming from and where your orders are gonna continue to come from, you know, uh, you and I've talked about this several times that I think a lot of the orders are going to become, are going to begin coming in from the Gen Z's. And obviously we do get some from the millennials already, but those Gen Z's we've got quite a while with that, uh, that group. And it's going to be, if not already the largest real estate group, Um, it's going to outpace the boomers. And so what can we do to attract our Gen Z's and millennials that we don't do currently? And I would I would say it's number one, it's gonna be technology. It's gonna be small bursts of information. It's gonna be video, it, just like we're here today doing a video, which is my least favorite thing to do in right. the world. But I don't think you're gonna be able to not do that going forward. I think that the, the old school days of paper files and a paper interaction is probably not gonna do it uh, if you wanna be a, a power closer going forward.
2: Well, I think actually when you talk about the three of us collaborating, I feel like we've had a a ton of conference calls, you know, about new products. So being very current in our market and talking through the legal aspects, you know, operations and then the client base, you know, how do we make these deals work when they're being pretty creative in what they're trying to accomplish, which could create risk, you know, for the company. So I think the three of us are able to strategically, you know, talk it out, come up with a solution and really just keep being in front of, our clients welcoming the next opportunity to approve. Well, and I think also, Ashley, that no
0: piece can be left out of the equation, right? As much as we need technology and we need to get rid of the paper and we talk about old school, what we can't throw out with the old school paper is the old school knowledge. Absolutely. And I think that as the computer systems get more efficient, we had a deal the other day where the computer doesn't calculate. If it starts out as a cash deal and then it changed to a mortgage deal, the the computer doesn't calculate intangible tax and doc stamps on the mortgage unless you do physical input. Well, we have someone new, new to the business, and she is sharp and smart as they come. But she's just rapidly running through it. And because the computer didn't make the change for her, she missed it. That's a $4,000 conversation with a client, right? So sometimes sharp, smart technology, efficiency. If we throw out the paper, we have to make sure we don't throw out the knowledge with the paper and we have people still teaching. I do think that's the gift that this market has also brought us is the opportunity, Ashley, to educate, you know, to continue to teach. You You mentioned when we started this morning or this afternoon, um, find a deal with not out of title problem right now. Well, all the new people in our industry that opened up, because I always like to say title got real sexy, right? In 20 and 21, where are they getting their curative knowledge from?
2: How do they know what they don't know? My guess is they don't know. Right. And they're just overlooking it. And that whole fast and loose mentality is fine now. But in three to five years, when your claims are, you know, at the highest, you know, what are you going to do with that buyer that calls you and says, well, title company's not there and you recommended them you know, what kind of liability does that create?
1: Exactly. Well, when the market is a little softer, you can't afford mistakes. Right. right. So when the market's great and your real estate and lender partners have tons of business and you make a mistake on a file, you can ask for forgiveness and usually get it and move on and continue to service that client. If I'm a real estate agent or a lender and I only have a few deals to give and a closer makes a mistake, Chances are that closers not getting a second chance. So we have to redefine mistakes and what mistakes look like. And with our younger buyers, I think you're right, we cannot replace the experience with technology or the the experience of the closing, the overall atmosphere of the closing, in that making sure our customers understand are given time to understand the 135 or so pages in a typical lender's package, right? Right, Like they they need to walk away from the table understanding how we prorate taxes. What does that mean to them when they get the tax bill at the end of the year? How do you file a homestead exemption? The days of just flying through the package, because we've got seven closings right behind this one, it's probably going to be over.
0: Right, exactly. And at some level, maybe running so fast because we had to run so fast, did a bit of a disservice, not only to um, the consumer, but potentially our industry. And because we've lived this before, what we know is you have fast and furious, loose and, what did he call it? Uh, Fast fast and loose, fast and loose. And people in the business that are new, and we're not going to really start feeling the impact of all that business and the claims that come along with it for a couple of years and that's going to be when the business isn't as plentiful right so also having the knowledge our company and i know that you both know this but for our viewers sake as we've already mentioned number one in the nation but we also over reserve for claims we have a, a level of claims requirement we have actuaries come in and tell us how much money we need to set aside for our claims and our company sets aside more than we're required to so we are prepared for what potentially will be an increased number of claims. And also, 10% nationally is the average of what's insured in our industry that comes back. And that's across the board to all title, all underwriters comes back as a claim. So being prepared for that is really set us apart from the competition as well. And I think that um, it's something that we're very proud of. So um, having the experience in the years in gives us the understanding of what goes up, must also come down and we have to be prepared for the down. But I also think we have to learn how to thrive during the downtime, which is what Paula spoke to, which is doing all the same things we've done, but more of. And then what Ashley spoke to, which is digging in and training, holding people accountable, understanding that while it's not pleasant to have auditors in your office after the most, the two most busiest years of your careers, it's necessary right? And it's just a lot of benefits that come with this market that I think people miss.
1: And I think that's especially true in the commercial market. Uh, You're just not going to find a better title company for closing commercial than our Fidelity National Title Group. We just have so many resources to look at a commercial deal and find problems, correct mistakes, make sure the deal goes forward as all of the parties intended. Uh, We have more attorneys than we know what to do with. Probably at our company, we have underwriters and Folks to look at surveys. We have real title people, right? And I don't. Not every title company can say that. And I think we we talk a lot about from the very top of our company, CEO down, we have title people. Mm-hmm. We yes. have title people. I I, I would imagine, I, I won't challenge him, but I would imagine if we put a title file in front of our CEO, he would have a pretty good idea of what to do with it. Right. right? Maybe we
0: should have him on the show. Maybe we should yeah, ask absolutely. him that if he could do absolutely. that. And
1: I know all of us could close a file. And maybe we, maybe Susan and I would be a little slower at finding which button to push in, in, our, in our software. I could close
0: it. Just don't ask me to push the buttons, okay? Right? Yeah. The buttons would
1: be a little bit harder, <laughs> but if, if everybody got the flu, at our company you and I could we could close and we could move money because we're title people right and I think that that is so especially true of of the fidelity group and I think that's incredibly important on the commercial side for sure residential also but commercial you just can't go anywhere else um and and close a commercial file as well as we do
0: I would I would agree to that I would agree to that Ashley final comments final thoughts
2: Well, I just think, you know, after everything that Paula just mentioned, I feel like it is relevant because there are so many people out there that are just, you know, just open shop. They have one person. That one person may never have done title before they got that job. Right. And what happens when, you know, they have to call out sick for one reason or another? Who's who's answering your call? Who's taking care of your file? And I just think at Fidelity, we do. We have so many resources and so many opportunities to troubleshoot, to make clients happy, but do it all the right way. You know, and I think that's what's most important.
1: Paula, final thought? Be careful of the shiny bright new object. I think uh, go with what you know. I think there uh, are a lot of great title companies, whether that's the Fidelity uh, of the world or that's the legacy mom and pop shops that have been around forever. But I think with title insurance, it's a, it's a serious product. It's not just a closing to pop champagne and have balloons at. Those are great things. But at the end of the day, we sell a real product and we ensure real risks and A loss under one of those policies can cost someone a lot of money. So I would say close with with what you know. Close with who's been here in the past, and he'll be here tomorrow. Absolutely.
0: As we close up today, I just want to go back to the beginning of the conversation, which is we've really focused this last several months on the reframe. Again, we all are with Fidelity National Title on the reframe for Ashley to educate, title, operations, efficiencies. I've talked a lot about leadership, mentorship, relationships, both personally and professionally. And Jesse, who's been out on maternity leave for a minute here, is really focused on sales and how to boost your sales numbers, how to get better, sharper, smarter, and have people want to do business with you. You will continue to get more of all of that from us. You will see us working a little harder and a little more diligently to educate on the title side because as we discussed today, old school that we need to do away with is the paper, not the knowledge. So we're going to be reprinting knowledge on the reframe so that you all will learn more about title, what it takes to cure title, what it takes to run these businesses to ensure your home ownership and your future. So stay tuned, come back, keep watching for all the things that we've helped you grow accustomed to seeing and hearing but much, much more. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to The Reframes, People and Profit with me, Susan West. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is a Stockworth Studios production.